When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to the Friday Buckeye Talk, previewing Ohio State, Indiana at Indiana on Saturday night. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. I just rewatched Michigan State, Indiana, which means I have just enough information to be dangerous. Nathan, a big deal for this game is whether Indiana's top two corners are going to play. Taiwan Mullen is one of the best corners in the Big Ten. He's been out for a couple games. I think is it Reese Taylor is their other guy. He got hurt last week during the Michigan State game. It sounds like as we record this on Thursday afternoon, they are strong maybes. And I feel like that affects to some decent amount how you view this game because Ohio State has two of the best receivers in the country, and these are their two best guys who have a chance to cover them. Yeah, absolutely. And Taiwan Mullen's not just one of the best cornerbacks in the Big Ten. He's potentially one of the best in the country. I mean, he was a first-team All-American from the, the Football Writers Association of America last year. The, you know, we've talked before about how those things can be <laughs> whatever, deceiving, but that's that still means something to me um, to even make one All-American team, first-team All-American. So, uh, yeah, anytime you take players of that caliber off the field at that position against Ohio State, you're causing issues. We've also spent a lot of time this week discussing the concept of Indiana's blitzes and they, they came out real strong at Ohio state that way last year, they've been less bliss happy, blitz happy this year. It's one of the reasons why they're last in the big 10 in sacks instead of first, the way they were last year, but all of Ohio state's coaches keep talking like they expect it to be coming. And I wonder how the presence of these two guys in the secondary covering Ohio state's receivers and potentially mitigating the risk reward of those blitzes affects how much Ohio or Indiana would bring that kind of pressure, kind of sell out that kind of pressure in a game like this. So this is one of those things that I think is sort of like good news and bad news for Ohio State as they look uh, to the, their second half schedule. I think maybe the good news for Ohio State is that Indiana is better than Michigan State. That's good news for when Ohio State plays Michigan State. The bad news is Indiana is better than Michigan State. Rewatching the game last week, I thought Indiana was better. And the the commentators, I thought, sometimes I think the commentators are not very good. And sometimes I think the commentators are pretty good. I can't remember who the guys were last week. They had nice hair. I think it might have been Brock. uh, I don't know who it was. Probably some guy named Brock 
or champ. He thought the bye week, because Indiana had a bye week before Michigan State last week. He was talking about like the way they played defensively last week. He thought they just must have reset themselves a little bit and that I think they were maybe beaten down to some degree by opening the season with high expectations. And then you lose three games off the bat. But as we've said, all those losses were to top 10 teams. All four of their losses are right in Mm -hmm. Iowa, Cincinnati, Penn State, Michigan State. I thought their defense last week was without Taiwan Mullen and with Reese Taylor going out early was like very good. And they played this guy named Noah Pierre who made his first start at corner. He had a pick in the end zone that sort of kept Indiana alive at the end of the game. I felt like Michigan state's receivers were not that open much of the game. It's all relative, right? Ohio state's receivers are blank times, more dangerous, better route runners, faster, better technique, more talented than Michigan state's guys. But Michigan state has Jalen Naylor. Who's like a pretty good player, right? It's not like they have nobody. And Peyton Thorne had been like a nice story this year. It's not like he had played pretty well at quarterback and they just got nothing done. I I'm on alert a little bit, not for Indiana to beat Ohio state, but Steven, I'm on alert for a little bit for, for this to be somewhat significantly more difficult for the Ohio state offense than maybe we have in our heads right now. Now, in our outrageous predictions, you predicted Ohio State to score 45 points in the first half. So I would think that you don't think that. Am I crazy? Am I, am I overestimating Indiana's defense because they did kind of a good job against a Michigan State team that has a bunch of, you know, has some try-hard guys who aren't NFL prospects the way Ohio State guys are. Except, by the way, they also shut down a guy who is still the pick for some people as the halfway Heisman winner and Indiana bottled him up and he did nothing. Kenneth Walker, the third did nothing last week. Tell me if I'm crazy. You may also answer that question specifically. Am I crazy to be oh, okay? Yeah, I was gonna ask that. or generally specifically yeah. or generally, because those are two different answers. One is yes. I mean, genuinely, yes, you are generally. Yes, you are a crazy person. I think you are further out on the ledge than you should be about this Indiana team. And I think some of it is based off of what you saw against Michigan state. And I think some of it is based off the Indiana defense we saw last year, which is not completely the same defense. The guy who was in charge of that came one back one back. I think is how you say his last name is now the head coach at South Alabama, instead of being the defensive coordinator, Indiana. And he is why they were blitzing almost 75% of the time against Ohio state last year. They don't blitz nearly as much. As they did last year, they send some funky stuff, yes, but it's not. I don't think C.J. Stroud is going to deal with it at the same level Justin did in the sense that every other down, there's seven people coming at you. That's not what C.J. is going to have to deal with. And also, he is a more competent quarterback than what Michigan State has, and his weapons are better. So, yes, I agree with the idea that maybe they bottle up Travion Henderson and just sell out on the run the same way Maryland did to open up that game. But Ohio State has a better answer for it than Michigan State had, even though somebody did write articles about Michigan State's wide receiver coach having the best room in the country. Who wrote that story? I can't remember who his name was, but it was like, um, meet Michigan State's news. Yeah, the, um, meet the the man in charge of the best wide receiver group in the country. Was the writer's name Sparty Spartan? 
<laughs> Jalen Ellers a good player. That just that feels a little wrong. So so I can't let go of the fact that you picked Ohio State to score 45 points in the first half against Indiana. In part because they scored 45 points in the first half against Rutgers. You you can take like when we say victory lap, like you you know how it's four laps in a mile. Right, yeah. high school high school gym class. You may take four victory laps on the post game pod if you are anywhere close, it. anywhere close to correct. But you inspired me to go back and look at what Michigan State did against Rutgers, and what Michigan State did against Indiana, because you know we have a little transitive property stuff that halfway through the season you, you got to try some of this stuff. It's right. I mean, mm-hmm. again, Garrett Wilson was put on this earth to blow up transitive property. It's like, oh, cool. Who cares what <laughs> Michigan State did against other teams? Nobody can cover Garrett Wilson. I understand that. Michigan State scored 31 against Rutgers, scored 20 against Indiana. Michigan State, 65 plays for 588 yards against Rutgers, 62 plays for 241 yards against Indiana. So, like, the same number of plays, 340 fewer yards. Against Rutgers, Michigan State rushed 38 times for 249. That's a 6.6 average. Against Indiana, 35 times for 100. That's a 2.9 average. Against Rutgers, throwing the ball 16 of 27 for 339. That's 12.6 yards per attempt. Against Indiana, 15 of 27 for 141, 5.2 yards per attempt. Peyton Thorne, again, threw for 339 against Rutgers, 126 against Indiana. Kenneth Walker III, 29 carries for 233, an 8-yard per carry average against Rutgers, 14 for 26. No, that's wrong. I was looking at Peyton Thorne. 23 for 84. 3.7 yard average. So again, Rutgers, 29 for 233. Indiana, 23 for 84. His yards per carry cut in half. Jalen Naylor, their best receiver, nine targets, five catches for 221 and three touchdowns versus Rutgers. Eight targets, four catches for 22 yards versus Indiana. That is incredibly stark. That is incredibly stark. It will not, you know, whatever. My point is, Rutgers, and I have another stat, Rutgers is the, I think it's fair to say, well, in the, Oregon's defense did some very good things, right? Noah Sewell was a great player. They didn't have Kayvon Thibodeau. They had a couple guys who could try to hang a little bit. Although Ohio State still threw the ball pretty well. I think statistically Rutgers, I mean, I know statistically Rutgers is because I looked it up. Rutgers in the SP plus has the highest defensive rating of any team Ohio State has faced so far. Indiana, I think, is significantly better defensively than Rutgers and whether the best defense that Ohio state has faced so far is Rutgers or Oregon. I think it's possible that Indiana's defense is somewhat significantly better than both of them. Nathan, do you think I'm going too far with this Indiana defense stuff? No, I, I don't. Um, certainly the way the Ohio state coaches talk about it, they don't. Um, the game that I wanted to go back and look at actually was not the Michigan state game. It was the Cincinnati game. I wanted to see what Indiana looked like when a, they were on the field against a team that was maybe a little bit more legitimate both sides of the ball than uh, Iowa and uh, I guess Penn State would have been another example um, because that, that tells you a lot about the Ohio State or the, the Indiana offense right now, the fact that they got shut out by Penn State. Like getting shut out in college football is... No, I know. I'm not, but I'm not talking about the offense. But, right, talk but, about but we're talking about the other side of the ball. Sucks. And, Their yes. offense sucks. So um, I went back and looked at the Cincinnati game and you saw moments in that game where Indiana was still causing problems the way that it caused problems last year against Ohio state. Like early in the game, they bring six guys 
Uh, Desmond Ritter, very good quarterback, uh, throws off his back foot. It gets tipped up and intercepted. Ohio State was, or Indiana was up 14 nothing in that game. Should have been up more than that. Penix was, you know, they were driving again, and Penix threw a, t- a pick in the end zone. And they got killed by special teams in that game. I mean, it was 24-23 going into the fourth um, because Cincinnati had uh, uh, taken a kickoff return back for a touchdown right after IU had gone up 21-17. So, like, this was a game – that was a game that Indiana was in it right to the end against the team that's number two in the country right now. And I I think people would be – smart not to look at the record too much yes the offense is a problem but I think you're right that this is probably the kind of game that could expose some things maybe even in a good way for Ohio State Um, you you would argue that that could have happened last year if they had the sort of depth that they have this year where if something gets exposed maybe there's some kind of move that they can make over the next several weeks to fix it whereas last year they just didn't have a second option. The things that got exposed were just going to be exposed from there on in. The the Cincinnati game started. These were this was Cincinnati's possessions to start the game. Punt, punt, interception, punt, punt, fumble. Those are the first six possessions yep. for Cincinnati. These were the first possessions for Michigan State last week. Punt, 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 punt. Like that's what Indiana's defense will do to you right now. To Cincinnati's credit, I thought they did a great job of figuring stuff out in the second half. They also so Cincinnati, I think, kind of wore them down, got smart, great game plan, all credit in the world of Cincinnati, which legitimately I do think is legitimately in this weird year one of the four best teams in the country. Like Cincinnati's better than Indiana. But since, I mean, like Indiana, because here's here. So Indiana's played six games. One of them's against Idaho. I don't care about Idaho. Idaho. I don't even know where Idaho is. I've been to Idaho. When was I to Idaho, though? Oh, I went to Yellowstone. You guys do that when you travel? You go like drive over the line and put your foot in a state, and you're like, I've been to that state. I think no, you, you have, have to, to. That doesn't count. You have to like do an activity in that state. Oh, well, I can't think, just be like sneaking through. I think you have to go to the bathroom in the state. I think you've left your nice. essence there. <laughs> Fuck, I talk. <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, like, yeah, I said I got an activity. T-shirt. I got a teacher that said, like, I took a dump in Idaho. <laughs> that counts. So he drove to Idaho. Um, but I didn't count that. So I threw it out of Idaho. I didn't look at Idaho stuff. Against Iowa, they had two pick sixes. That Iowa had two pick sixes. So Iowa scored 34 against Iowa. But 14 of those points were scored by Iowa's defense. As you mentioned, Nathan, Cincinnati scored 38 against Indiana but one was a kickoff return last week. Michigan state had a pick six. Michigan state scored 20 and one of them was a pick six. And the other one was a touchdown pass to a guy wearing number 97. It was like insane. And then a couple field goals, like Michigan state's offense did nothing last week. And by the way, Indiana's offense got in the red zone and kicked a bunch of field goals early. And like, I mean, Indiana should have won. Indiana should have beaten them last week. So here, here is the thing. Well, we'll take a quick break. We'll take a quick break, and then I have a defensive stat that clarifies a lot of what we've been talking about as we wait for this Ohio State offense to just get a little bit tougher tests from opposing defenses. We'll do it next on Buckeye Talk. All right, so here is the SP plus ratings for the defenses on Ohio State's regular season schedule. SP plus is Bill Connolly at ESPN, his efficiency rating. He does offense, he does defense. Now, the defenses that Ohio State has already faced, they have faced Ohio State, which has the, one of the best offenses, maybe the best offense in the country. So that 
makes their defense rating worse, right? So it's like, and if you have not yet faced Ohio State, you probably have a better defensive rating because you have not yet faced the best offense you're going to face this year. So take that into account. SP plus ratings for the defense they faced. Rutgers is the best one at number 32. Minnesota, 34. Maryland, 45. Oregon, 48. Tulsa, 53. Akron, 126. So that's middle of the pack defenses, right? Akron's the only putrid one. You know, everybody else is ranked at, high, at least as high as 53, right? Here's the six defenses they have left on the schedule. Penn State 5, Michigan 9, Michigan State 13, Indiana 20, Purdue 27, Nebraska 29. And then Iowa, which still looks like the best chance in the Big Ten title game, is 4. So that's six defenses left, all ranked 29 or better. That's six defenses in the past, all ranked 32 or worse. Steven, like that's... And now, so, okay, well, Nebraska's defense, are they great? Well, they haven't faced Ohio State. Okay, Rutgers and Minnesota's defense are probably similar to Purdue and Nebraska's. I get that. But I think they have four defenses left on the schedule, five if you count Indiana, that are definitively better Mm -hmm. than anything they've faced so far. It's just where, and it starts this week, and it's just a reminder, right, Stephen? Like, it's just a reminder, not that Ohio State can't handle it, but it's going to get tougher. It's just, I mean, Ohio State is arguably the best offense in the country, and it's going to spend the next six weeks having to live up to that is what this comes down to. And they're be- they're equipped to do it. It's not like they don't have all the weapons to be able to do that. It's just their road to a national title requires them to go through a lot of really good defensive teams, both on the regular season schedule, but then if we ever get into a playoff situation. So that- that's all that boils down to. Indiana is just a unique one because of what they did last year and how – even if they don't do it as often this season, I think last year was like 75%. I think they're down to maybe like 25 or 30% this year, which is like middle of the pack. Even if they don't do it as often, they're still unique when they do send them. So it's an interesting thing for a first-year quarterback to have to start this six-week gauntlet going up against. The other thing for Indiana, so we know they faced, again, throw out Idaho, no offense to Idaho. So they faced four other ranked teams. And the, the only team that's not Idaho that they faced – that isn't ranked is Western Kentucky and Western Kentucky has a quarterback named Bailey Zappi who people are like throwing out there as a Heisman candidate. So like even there and Indiana only won that game 33, 31, but that's because like Western Kentucky has one of the best offenses in the country. These, this is Bailey Zappi's stats, right? This is what he did against Indiana in a 33, 31 Indiana win. He was 31 of 44 for 365 yards and three touchdowns. That is tied for the fewest number of touchdowns he's thrown in any game. And that is his, his fewest passing yards in any game this year. So like Indiana handled the Western Kentucky quarterback better than anyone else has handled the Western Kentucky quarterback. The Western Kentucky quarterback threw for 523 against Texas San Antonio. And Texas San Antonio is actually pretty good. He threw for 488 against Michigan State. Like this guy has been lighting up everybody. So even Nathan, even Indiana's easy game. Do we have any idea what Bailey Zappi would have done to this Ohio State defense in the first half of the year before they got stuff figured out? They couldn't stop that Tulsa guy. They couldn't stop Oklahoma Mark Sanchez before that game. Like, I don't know what Bailey Zappi would have done to them. This is what Indiana's had to deal with. Yeah, and I think it's important for people to remember, like those numbers you're talking about, whether you're looking at SP plus or whether you want to go look at football outsiders, whether you want to look at um, 
pro football focus, like the more sophisticated modern numbers, they adjust somewhat for your level of competition. So yes, they haven't played an offense like Ohio state, but they're also judged accordingly, I think. So it's, 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 you know, it's not just what you did against that team. It's what you did against what you should have done against that team to get a higher, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's, there's a degree of difficulty that's factored in. So I, I think that, what I expect to see is a, a game not dissimilar. I was trying to think back to like 2019 because not, right now this offense is sort of t- turning back in that direction where we think about like uh, it's a more conventional year because it's hard to compare to things from last year. So more conventional year, balanced Ohio State offense, really talented running back, really talented quarterback and receivers. And I'm thinking back to games like, like do people remember how tough Michigan State gave Ohio State a game at home in 2019 or like, the first time they played Wisconsin, I think it was kind of tough early on. Like Ohio State pulled away in those games, but those games were tough physical games early on that Ohio State had to work to to get ahead and, and and put those teams away. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if this is that sort of a game where it ends up looking pretty comfortable at the end of the day. But Ohio State's going to have to work for it in a way, I think, that they didn't have to against Rutgers and Maryland. It is a reminder that this is a team with, a bunch of legit dudes that you shouldn't go by their record and you shouldn't even necessarily go by like their overall sort of like defensive rating. Cause I think when you look at um, points per game, they're giving up 26.8 points per game. Again, that's not their defense. That's their whole team, which is how everybody does it. 26.8 points per game. That's 76th in the nation. Right? So if you just say, Oh, well, I mean, it's not that good. again, they've given up three pick sixes and a kickoff return. And they've faced like all these legit offenses. So you look at that number, which is just the basic basics. And you'd say, well, they're in the middle of the pack defense nationally. I, I legitimately think this is a top 20 defense in the country across the board. Both. I think they have, and it's again, they're 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 as Kane Womack, that that's a real loss, Steven. Right. But as, but Tom mm-hmm. Allen is a defensive coach. Right. So, so it would be like if, you know, if this Kevin it's Wilson. like if Kevin Wilson left Ohio yeah. State, it's it's gonna be a blow. Um, it might change some things you do, especially in twelve personnel. But long term, you should be okay. Which is why you can still sit here and say, I think Indiana is still a top twenty defense, even if a very significant piece of why that is the case is no longer here. I think a similar thing happened at Cincinnati with Marcus Freeman going to Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. They hired Mike Tressel, but Luke Fickle is still a defensive coach. And so you still have a style that you're going to employ. And Cincinnati's defense has not like fallen off a cliff because Marcus Freeman left, even though Marcus Freeman is excellent at his job, even though Kay Womack was excellent at his job. Nathan, I do think, I think if Micah McFadden, Indiana's linebacker, who's playing with a cast on his hand because he broke his thumb. I think if Micah McFadden played for Ohio State, he'd be their best defensive player. He'd, he'd certainly be their best linebacker. But like when we did that draft, when we did that draft of Ohio at, on the, during the bye week, and we had the three players that clearly we had, it was like Haskell Garrett, Denzel Burke, and Ronnie Hickman are clearly the first three guys you would pick. I think Micah McFadden down the down, snap the snap, is a more impactful defensive player than any of those guys. And that's not a criticism of those guys. This guy, there's an early against Kenneth Walker III, early in that game, there's a third and one run, and he absolutely fires through the gap, knows exactly where the ball is going, goes right in the hole. It's like he hits the hole before Kenneth Walker III can hit the hole, and he tackles him in the backfield for a loss on a third and one that forces a punt. 
He has a play where he drops in coverage and gets right in a passing lane and almost picks the ball off. He will chase guys down. Peyton uh, Thorne is trying to escape on the edge, scrambling. Micah McFadden chases him down, breaks him down, tackles him around the ankles and forces a, a loss, right? That he, in every aspect of the game, he's around the ball, he's aggressive, but he's not out of position. Tell us if we're talking about Steel Chambers, right? We've gone, we, we've given Steel Chambers praise because he feels like, who's the linebacker on this team that's going to shoot the gap on third and one and tackle the guy in the backfield for a loss? We feel like it's probably Steel Chambers right now. But the whole thing with Steel Chambers is, well, he's still learning the position. Is he going to be out of position sometimes? I think Micah McFadden makes plays, but then is not out of position. It reminds me of that fourth down stop that Noah Sewell made on Ohio State. But that was on Mayan Williams, not Trevor Henderson. Ohio State's offense has progressed. But that's like a playmaking, get a huge stop on a critical down. I think Micah McFadden will do that a time or two, even against the defense and against an offense as high flying as Ohio State's, he he is kind of like the, the type of like super impactful linebacker that like everybody is craving at Ohio State right now, and the other side has guy has a guy. Yeah, and, and Ohio State fans know what it looks like because I think Malik Harrison was that. I think Pete Werner became that. Like they got used to those guys who could step up and make those plays. I will say though, again, like the caveat being like. Indiana hasn't faced this offensive line. Indiana hasn't faced Trayvon Henderson. I think those things will, will be important too, that, you know, I don't see, I don't know that I think that because even against Oregon, Sewell didn't like take over the game. He made critical plays at important times mm-hmm. and that could, that could flip a game where your offense was as credible as Oregon's was. It's not going to – I don't think that a player like Micah McFadden flips a game with an offense like Indiana's. And that's still what this comes back to to me. Like I was looking back at the Cincinnati game. Indiana outgained Cincinnati in that game, had more yards per play than Cincinnati in that game, had better third down efficiency than Cincinnati in that game. But that was with Michael Penix. And even though he has struggled at times, that quarterback play has taken a dip under Tuttle. And I think the less – if less effective this offense is the more that defense has to be out on the field. That's just playing into Ohio state's explosiveness. I do think the McFadden Henderson matchup is going to get interesting because to bring up the Sewell thing, that's basically both the running back and the linebacker in the hole together. Who's going to win and Sewell won in those situations. How many times can is Travion Henderson going to beat Michael McFadden when you get into those situations, especially when it's third and two when Ohio state's just trying to keep a drive alive. I do also think against a defense like this, you, you saw it a little bit at times. A, a quarterback scrambling can can be really effective against a defense like this. So I'm really curious to see C.J. Stroud take some of those when they are available. Peyton Thorne, who is not nearly the thrower or sort of the complete quarterback that C.J. Stroud is, did have a couple moments like that. And sometimes a defense like this, they have everybody covered on third and seven. So what are you going to do? I do think I'm very curious to see CJ Stroud in those moments. So did uh, Desmond Ritter. That was something else I was going to mention from when I rewatched that 45 yards on 10 carries with a touchdown. And there were multiple times in that game where it seemed like Indiana had them on the ropes early on and Ritter could just break off a, a, a scramble. We haven't really seen that that much from Stroud. Like he hasn't run the ball that much. I think it's probably something that he has in his back pocket when he needs it. So we'll see. I also am curious if, you know, we, we have also seen them effectively um, use Trevion Henderson, just sort of dumping things off in, in those scenarios. 
And that it's so it's it's, it's that yin yang. It's what makes it fun. Like that, you know, Indiana could have them buried, have them, you know, covered effectively and and stopped on a play more or less. And you dump it off to Shevin Henderson and 43 yards later, the fields flip like it. We're going to see probably both those scenarios play out uh, potentially on Saturday. They, they had screen passes against Minnesota when they started sending stuff. I would assume we see some of the, more of those, those running back screens again. But then also, I mean, we've seen CJ run, but he doesn't run to go run down the field and make a play. He runs to buy a little bit of time and then yep. ends up throwing it away. So I think what we'll see is check downs to Travion Henderson, and they'll probably start implementing those screen passes again because Travion obviously has shown us he can do stuff with it. And CJ like hasn't run because he hasn't needed to run. Like, why, yeah. why would you run when you have Trayvon Henderson and these receivers, right? Like, it's, mm-hmm. but I mean, it's just, I, I think it, I'm like, like he really hasn't run. So this season, <laughs> Minnesota, three carries for 13, Oregon, five carries for minus three, Tulsa, two carries for minus 14, Rutgers, two carries for 13, Maryland, two carries for eight for the season, 14 carries, 17 yards. His longest mm-hmm. run this year is 15 yards. So and that's before taking out the four sacks. So really, he's only actually ran 10 times. Which is which is fine. Like, he, he yeah. hasn't needed to. And he also had a first down run at yep. a critical time that they picked up a first down back. that was called back by Holt. So he just hasn't had to do it. I do think this might be a game where mm. it could be helpful to the offense for him to do it a couple times. And it will be interesting to see him evaluate the situation and then decide if he's going to take off or not. Um, my, the discussion that I'm having here is not an Ohio State, will they win or not discussion. It, to me, it is a test for the offense. And are you going to like give the points with the Buckeyes or not? Right. That, that, that I do think, but mostly it's a, a reminder that if this offense looks really good against Indiana, it is a, I think, quite a bit more of an accomplishment than anything that this offense has done so far, because I want to give credit to this Indiana defense for having both a good scheme and some good individual players. And again, if their two top corners are here, then they've, they've, they have as much of a shot to sort of try to slow down Ohio state, you know, as anybody, again, I've talked a lot about the Penn state secondary. If, if Indiana is healthy in the back in the secondary, you know, that's about as good as what they might face. So I don't want to go too far, but that's where I am on the defense. Quite a bit of respect for the defense, quite a bit of respect for Micah McFadden. Offensively, Nathan, as you said, you said a couple times this week, like they just don't do much. Uh, Peyton Hendershot, they had a night, they called like a nice little tight end screen early in the game last week that hit, right? They've got to try to get him involved in the game. He's a pretty nice Big Ten tight end. We know what guys like that look like. Fry Fogel, who was, was he first team all Big Ten last year? I think he was, right? Like, Mm -hmm. so like he's not having the year that he had last year, as you said, Nathan, he had a drop, like they had a, you know, that he just, there was a, he had a drop on like a second down that would have helped them move the chains last week that he just dropped. It's like, come on, man. Like if you're going to be a first first team, all big 10 receiver, like you've got to do stuff like that. So, but it's one of those things like he's been a good player. I don't know. What if he doesn't drop balls this game? What if they do a good job of getting the ball to Hendershot? Jack Tunnel's not going to do that much. They have this freshman quarterback that they're working in as a run threat teams love to work in the young quarterback as a run threat donovan mcculley i think is his name Mm -hmm. like just be on the lookout for like hey there's a wildcat you know there's here comes the running quarterback and look he hit a hole and ran 60 yards he didn't run 60 yards last week against michigan state they're just trying to figure it out as a wrinkle i think 
but at least they have a wrinkle. So Nathan, there's nothing scary about the Indiana offense, but they did. I think the first drive last week for Indiana, Jack Tuttle was seven of nine for 69 yards. They hit Steven to you. What you're talking about with screen passes and stuff. They hit some little stuff to the running backs. They had the Hendershot screen, quick little stuff to the receivers, little slants and stuff. He also got picked on a slant for the pick six linebacker, just jumped the route and took it in. But Nathan, it's got to be short passing game for them. And I could see them maybe hitting some stuff early before the Ohio State defense adjusts. But there's just not – without Penix, there's just not a lot there with the Indiana offense. Yeah, and again, like they, they had their opportunities against Cincinnati. They're, they're down 30-24 to 24 halfway through the fourth quarter, and they fumble inside the 10. Like they were right there against beating the number two – what's the now the number two team in the country. So I'm 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 – I'm trying to balance that this week between like what our eyes are telling us about where Indiana's offense is right now and what our eyes and what the paper tells us that this offense has been at. It's never been explosive. It's never been like a a, a team that's going to like blow you off the field this year, but coupled with the defense, if you get an opportunistic defense that gives them some short fields, maybe takes a ball away from Ohio State at some point, I, I think it's a it's a veteran enough offense that it can capitalize on those things. And like Penix is not going to play, right? It it's, does it's, not sound like it. No. It's a shoulder injury. No. And even uh, with McCully, I think I'm, I'm not sure if Tom Allen has come out and officially said whether or not they're just going to burn the red shirt for him this year or not. So he might not even play. He did say Listen, that this week that that they are not worrying about the red shirt anymore because okay. they have to get him into games because he's the backup because they don't know if right. Phoenix is going to play again this year and they have to get him real game action and not worry about okay. keeping him under four games. So I'm I would done. expect him to play at some point. I'm done with red shirt conversations. Like in a world where, I mean, nothing is yeah. real anymore with eligibility, right? I mean, the COVID thing, everybody got a free year. Threw everybody off, yeah. Transfers, you can transfer without whatever. Like if well, you're, if you're freshman, so no, I know. So he doesn't, but guy. like, if you're a coach, honestly, and you're making decisions in the moment right now about a player who has any chance to help you and you're for real, really thinking about redshirt stuff. Well, what if four years you're crazy, you're crazy. Like what? So what you think he's going to be an all American in year four and be like, I can't believe he, if he's good, he's going to be gone. If he's not good, you don't want him for the fifth year. Redshirt conversations are over. They're over. And any coach who's who's legitimately having them other than with a developmental offensive lineman who needs to like put on weight and stuff. But then it's not a conversation. It's like, hey, this guy has no business being on a football field. We have him at training table and in the weight room. He's not playing. It's like he's at a prep school and then he'll have four years. That's a red shirt. Anybody that's an actual football player who's been on the field. No more red shirt conversations. The world might not exist in four years. Like it's insane. It's insane how, but some of the coaches still have them. I know they do. You're going to be fired in four years. Who cares if the guy has an extra year of eligibility for your predecessor, just play the players you need to play. Everybody wants to play. Every college player in the world says the, the toughest thing they ever went through was redshirting. So don't redshirt anybody. That's not a 223 pound offensive lineman. Go ahead, Nathan. I would say, it would be successor, not predecessor to begin with. But also, I mean, oh, he yeah. was the third Sorry. string quarterback. He wasn't playing. That was kind of the point. Like it was, it was kind of an accidental redshirt that was happening because he just wasn't playing. Right. Like CJ Stroud accidentally redshirted last year. Cause like, they were like, Oh crap, we keep yeah. blowing leads in the second half and we can't get the guy on the field. And we had half our games canceled. Successors is, is, is the correct word. Okay. 
So this the 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 Indiana offense stinks. The Indiana defense is pretty good. We we did have Ryan Day updates on Thursday afternoon. They're always valuable. I don't listen to them. <laughs> so I was watching tape of Michigan State Indiana. Nathan, what do we need to know from what Ryan Day said on Thursday? You know, just kind of continuing uh, the theme of who's going to play this week. I mean, I would expect Tyreek Smith to play for the first time in three weeks. He he's gone from talking about you know. Uh, saying that they expect him back to saying like, Hey, he's had a really good week of practice and we're looking forward to having him out there. So Tyreek Smith, I think returns to the defense this week. He'd already said, and we talked to Haskell Garrett yesterday and he said he was fine. And he said, Cam Brown will be back this week. So those kind of jumped out at me as like maybe the most important things just sort of settling in that this defense, in addition to Indiana being bad offensively right now, Ohio state might be its healthiest other than the Josh Proctor injury and potentially its best this week on defense. And I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm interested to see what happens from, like I said the other day, that maybe there's some new wrinkles that they can throw out there having this extra week to sort of um, reinstall some things. Ryan Day called it, what do you call it today? Like repainting the. Oh the, yeah. Repainting the deck or the wood or something yeah, like that. Like, you know, you, you've already, you've already got it installed, but now you get to like freshen it up and make it look better. Yeah. Sort of like they, they did put some things in, but now they get to kind of refine them a little bit during the off week. I will say that um, the way Haskell talked when we were talking to him yesterday, it, he made it seem like had they been playing last weekend, he would not have played whatever he yeah, was he, dealing with. It was kind of chronic. And so it, that was kind of the tipping point that he probably needed a week off anyway. So it just matched up pretty nicely. The same with Paris Johnson. Um, so yeah, they needed that week off. And a new addition to the Chris Olave recruitment story, which always comes up extra when Ohio State plays Indiana since Jack Tuttle was yeah. the San Diego high school quarterback that Ryan Day was out yeah. there looking at uh, when he found Chris Olave. A little extra drama, Nathan? Ryan Day said today, and I had not heard this story before, but he said that Chris Olave at one point was a silent decommit in the recruiting process. He had already committed to Ohio State, and then in Ryan Day's words, he silently decommitted and was considering – staying out West and playing for Utah or USC or someone like that. And then as we all know, ended up signing in the late period. So um, we'll, we'll ask Chris Olave about that eventually, I'm sure to get his side of that story, but I don't think Ryan day wouldn't just like make that up. I don't think. And uh, it's, it's a really interesting inflection point. Like the guy who may end up leading Ohio state in like numerous receiving categories by the end of his career, Ryan Day says at one point he had decided not to come here. Well, not only that, like not just statistically, he might be the best receiver in Ohio State history. Like Mm -hmm. we've had that discussion on Mount Buckmore. Steven, we are all aware of the silent commit. Is the silent decommit something new in the uh, the recruiting vocabulary? Um, Yes and no. Uh, Paris Johnson kind of silently decommitted. Um, when he just decided to go take a bunch of visits when Ryan Day first took over the job and had everybody panicking that spring because he didn't publicly do it. So for all intents and purposes, he silently decommitted. Um, this The Chris Olave one is interesting, though, because we get a new layer to this every time that we play an Indiana team, but also but based off the conversation I had with Chris before the 2020 season when we kind of rehashed a lot of this stuff, Chris didn't really even get an official offer until midway through his senior season because they wanted to see more of his film. So this is on both parts. 
he was probably unsure. Yes, because it's Ohio and he's from California, but also they were unsure because he was a three star that they weren't sure on. So I don't know how much it was a silent decommit versus it's a 17 year old who didn't officially sign anything until the late signing period in February. Anyway, he's a good player. It's weird. Player. I, I know he had the, you know, that year, right. Where he kind of wasn't on the field, but like he was, yeah. such, he was such a good player right away when he got here. I think, I don't think he would have been a top 100 recruit coming out of high school. Cause he's smaller. Um, and just physically wasn't there. He would have probably been one fifty ish. 180 range. I mean, he's not short. He's just slight, right? Yeah. He's, so, but. And they favor the physically gifted guys in those ratings a lot of times, which is why Julian Fleming, you know, bigger dude is the number one receiver yeah. in comparison to Jackson. So that would have played a role. I don't think he would have been a top 100 guy, but he would have been a, a guy in the 160, 150 range that we would have been saying, listen, he's going to outplay this rating as soon as he gets on a school and gets in the development program who can help him. It's like he sure knew how to play receiver really mm-hmm. fast. Like for a guy who, again, had like a hiccup in his high school career, he sort of he did not look lost on the field when they put mm-hmm. him on as a true freshman. It's like, oh, no, he's ready. So it's always fun to talk about Chris Olave. OK, are we good? Are we ready for some picks? Are we good on on everything here? Yeah, I think we're good. All right. Let's do it. We're good. We'll do it next on Buckeye Talk. All right, I'm just realizing this, Doug, Nathan, Stephen. I didn't send out the texter survey. Right, so we don't have the texter answers on who they think is going to win and who's going to have the over-under. I, I like sent out the big survey for the thing, and I, I texted out some of my Indiana defense research, and I, I forgot to text out, hey, tell us who you think is going to win. So that's, uh, that's my bad. I did – I'll send it out to the texters and get their answers and then just text it back to them. Again, if you want to – if you want to get texts when Doug forgets to do stuff for the pod, maybe that's a selling point for the texts. Everything Doug forgot to say on the pod for $4 a month, 614-350-3315. Our records on stuff. We suck. We are all two, three, and one against the spread and picking games. Steven and I are two, three, and one on the over-unders and Nathan's one, four, and one of the over-unders. I was wrong on both things last time we picked stuff. So I had a lead and I coughed it up. My bad. All right. So the line is it moved, Nathan. It moved from where it was initially. Yeah, it, it opened started at 19. At, yeah. And it's now 21. So 21 and the over under is 60 and a half. And I will say another under bit, actually has dropped to 59 and a half per the what? consensus. For real? What? what I, thought it was, I thought it was 60 and a half. I'm looking at, I'm looking the, at the updated number right now. I'm okay. looking at Vegas Insider. You have Vegas, Vegas Insider, Insider consensus. It's the one all the way to the end. It opened oh. at 60 and a half. If you go mm-hmm. all the way to the end of the row, 59 and a half. Okay. Thank you for showing us the way, Nathan. The sarcastic tone. Well, well, can't you read okay, a betting yeah. chart? Well, we don't have betting in Ohio <laughs> yet. I can't read a betting chart yet. 59 yeah. and a half. So here's my mathematical formula. Well, it doesn't change for me. Indiana. Scores, so. Indiana. I, I took all the teams except Idaho. Again, no offense to Idaho. That Indiana has played, and I found what those teams, what their average point total was in the games when they didn't play Indiana, and then what they scored against Indiana. So in those five games, Indiana, their opponents have scored 79% of what they scored 
in the other games they played. Now they might've played a bunch of crappy teams in the other game. So of course, Indiana is a little better. Ohio state is averaging 48.5 points per game. If Ohio state scores 79% of what they're averaging, they would score 38 points in this game. So I'm just throwing that out there. That sounds like a tissue thing. Tissue should be proud of me for figuring out math as it relates to betting. So Nathan, we'll start with you again. The over-under is 59 and a half because you look at the column on the end. 21, Ohio State favored by 21. What's your score? So I did not do that math, but I it did factor into my score. Uh, my The biggest, the math I did do is to go look at Ohio State's, or I'm sorry, Indiana's offense. They're 11th in the Big Ten in rushing yards per game. They're 14th in quarterback rating. They're the only team under 100. And by comparison, OSU is at 187.75, and C.J. Stroud's higher than that. They've almost – C.J. Stroud has almost, like, doubled – I think he actually has doubled Indiana's quarterback rating this year. They're 13th in passing yards per attempt. Ohio State's almost doubled them there, 11 to 5.6. So I'm taking Ohio State to win 38 to 16. I, I think I am respecting Indiana's defense – with that score a little bit, I just feel like Indiana's defense is going to have one hand tied behind its back because I don't think this offense, even against an Ohio State defense that has something to prove, is going to be able to move the ball consistently enough to keep it away from Ohio State enough that those explosive plays will not be able to, to be a factor. Now, that's under. that That's covering the spread, but it's under. And as you said, I've been horrible at picking the totals this year. And four of the six Ohio State games have gone over, including all three games where the kickoff total was under 65. Mm. So I would advise people to remember that if they're thinking about following my lead and taking the under. So, but I'm taking the under. So you you researched why you've been wrong and then decided to keep being wrong. Oh, I didn't. Re- <laughs> I researched how wrong I have been. I didn't research why I've been wrong. If I knew that, then we wouldn't be here. Okay, so, and you have them barely covering. You have them winning by 22 when the line is 21. So I do, but that's the number I would have probably picked. I was in that range all week, regardless of what the line ended up. It, cre- it crept up towards where I was thinking anyway. Okay, all right. So we've got Ohio State giving the points and the under for Nathan. Steven, what you got? I am clearly more pro Ohio State's offense versus Indiana's defense in this scenario than you two are, but also my outrageous prediction put me in a, you know, in a corner a little bit, 55 to 20 Ohio State wins. I'm taking the points with Ohio State and taking the over. I just think Ohio State's offense is going to be able to do what it wants to an extent with this Indiana. I'm not saying Indiana won't have its moments, but I don't think overall it'll be able to stop Ohio State from continuing to you know gain yards and put points on the board, especially now that C.J. Stroud's had another week off of rest to rest, whatever ailment that shoulder still might be going through along with what these weapons are. I just want to clarify because you, you said 45 in the first half, and then I said – something along the lines of, well, there could be defensive points. And you're like, well, but I don't really think that'll be a factor. You're thinking 45 offensive points first half. Yes. Okay. Mark it down. If he's right. I did. Nathan and I aren't even going to be on the postgame podcast. It's just going to be, gonna be even, gloating. Like, like right, singing, I'm walking back from Bloomington. Gloating. <laughs> we could just, Steven could just list all his favorite things in the world. He can have family members on the show. It will just be Steven Means time. If Ohio Genius, outrageous prediction ever. 45 offensive points in 30 minutes against the 20th best defense in the country would be quite a thing. Okay, so that is Stephen taking OSU, giving the points and the over. 
So I'm going to mm-hmm. do something so that I'm not doing it because of this, but none, none of us have the same thing. I don't think I can talk about Indiana's defense the way I talked about Indiana's defense and then sort of not take Indiana with the points. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's not an obvious choice to me because Indiana's offense is so bad. And I don't think Ohio State's going to score like 30, right? So Indiana's offense has to do a little something with getting 21 points. God, I'm right on it. What is it? It's 21? 21. Mm-hmm. I've got to change my score because I, I have to have it happen. No, I got it. 41-21. Ohio State wins by 20. And that's like 41 against like a really good defense. Again, like I, I don't like I'm not expecting Indiana to shut Ohio State down. I just think they'll make it a little bit more difficult than it's been the last couple of weeks when they've been dropping 50 and 60 point bombs on people. I'm actually like the Indiana getting to 21. I mean, we're all kind of in that same range. That's I'm I'm less sure about that. Can they score 21? I don't know. I don't know if they can score 21 on anybody. So yeah. I'm anticipating they have a little bit of a design scripted plays early on, right? Maybe get a touchdown drive in the first quarter. Actually, this is, and my actual plan for this is like a devastating backdoor cover where Ohio state's ahead, like 41 to 14. And they have the third string guys on the field and Indiana scores with two minutes to play and ruins everybody's night. So I do, that's a, that's an Ohio state and an over. Cause I have 63 points with a 59.5 over under. So we're all different. I don't feel great about it, but I think in the end, my bottom line is I believe in Indiana's defense, which doesn't mean I think they're going to completely stop Ohio State, which which means if Ohio State does really well, I'll have even more respect for this Ohio State offense because Indiana's got some players. Steven, anything to add before we get out of here? It's interesting. Um, It's it's basically two different two teams who are polar opposite colliding for the first time, which is it's, I don't want to call it a JV version of what an Ohio State-Georgia matchup would look like, but a very, very, very small sample size in the sense that you have a very defensive-minded team who gets it done on the defensive end of the side of the ball with, versus a team where if they're going to win a national title, it's because of their offense, and let's see what wins out. And in this situation, it's, and I'm saying in this situation, it's not that wins out is not who actually wins the game. It's can Indiana do enough to, you know, maybe, you know, poke some holes in Ohio State's offense, even if they don't win the game. Ohio State would only score like 35 in the first half against Georgia because they're better than Indiana. <laughs> I, I do think Stetson Bennett is like Jack Cut, Jack Tuttle is like West Coast Stetson Bennett. Yes. So I think that's that's pretty close. Um, Nathan, anything else? I brought this up earlier that my looking back at like a game that might be similar style wise, that 2019 Michigan state game, Ohio state was up 17 to 10 with under four minutes to play in the first half. Then JK Dobbins breaks off a long touchdown run. They sneak an extra field goal in before half. So they're now up uh, what's 27 to 10 and half and they only score once more the rest of the game. So 34 to 10, it's kind of like, I, I just see like some similarities here. Cause that Michigan state, I mean, try to name anybody who played on offense for Michigan state in that game. I mean, my God. Um, it was the Brian Lewerke days. So, you know, very similarly unimpressive offense, at least by Ohio State standards. So I think that at the end of the day, it's going to be just enough explosive plays for Ohio State that they're going to be able to, to pull away from a defense that I do otherwise respect. All right, that'll do it for our pregame show here. Ohio State at Indiana on Saturday night. We'll all be there. We'll have a postgame show that drops like in the wee hours. Um, so you guys will have that 
when you wake up Sunday morning to listen to a recap of what transpired in Bloomington. Make sure you're reading. Actually, you know what? Before we get out of here, make sure you're reading cleveland.com slash Buckeye Talk. Nathan, you dropped the big Dewan Jones story on Thursday morning. I, I really would direct people to it. I think it's a really interesting look at an interesting player. Um, just give us a little bit about like even why you wanted to do that and what you found in your reporting there. Well, we had already talked with him a little bit as this was developing his starting role this year about how much he bought in this past spring. But as talking to people around him, it became clear that like we've always known that he was like a basketball guy first. But like that was really kind of a mental block for him that he'd always really held on to this concept that like maybe I can somehow play basketball. And I don't know that like in his brain, he had like his mind, he had fully or his heart, however you want to say it had fully committed to like being a football player until like within the past, certainly within the past year, maybe within the past, like matter of months that he had always like, he was, he said that he had tried to talk to Ryan day about, Hey, could I maybe go talk to the basketball team about finding some kind of role? Like some, and they had always said like, they didn't, they didn't tell him he wouldn't be able to play football, but kind of one of those things were like, no, like there's, you know, you can go do it after you do all these other things time-wise for football that you still need to do since you're not even actually playing for us right now, like you might want to get better at football. So I I think it was just part of the maturation process for him to like, and um, most of us go through that when we're like nine, where we like realize like we're not going to be able to do this sports thing we dream about. That's why we come on here and do these goofy podcasts and talk to all of you folks. But it's interesting that he kind of had that, that choice to make too, that like he had this dream and it was like attainable to some extent, but he made this choice to come here and play football and he finally had to like really kind of shut his heart off from basketball in order to fully like become the football player he's become. Two things. One, your dreams died at nine years old. That's kind of sad, man. Sports dreams. That's reality. That's reality yeah, sad, for you, 98. You figure out you figure out pretty early, like, oh, I don't know. I'm, yeah, I'm not nine. Like on my farm league team. I'm probably not going to go play shortstop for the Cardinals someday. Uh, at nine years old, there are people who are late bloomers all the time, man. Give yourself some hope. At least be on no. the planet for 10 years before you come to this reality. No. Beanfield Nathan Baird running around being like, I'm going to play in the NFL. What are you talking about? That was a very realistic choice That's by hurtful. Beanfield Baird to realize that he was not going to be a professional athlete. I did the same thing. What are you talking You played AAU all the way up so you could allow your. I mean, yeah, but I was also a kid. Dream. You're supposed to be dreaming. That's man. Let your dreams live a little bit. But also, I, I love wrote, this story. I wrote an essay. I think that might have won an award in middle school that was basically about kill your dreams because like you've always been a cynic. Yeah, no, it was like it was like a thing. There was like I remember there was a baseball player named Barbaro Garbay when I was a kid. Maybe Nathan remembers him who would come over and he had like this dream and he chased his baseball dream and he became a baseball player. And everybody was like, follow your dreams. And I was like, yeah, but what about everybody else who had the same dreams as him that didn't make it? Kill your dreams. And they were like, you know what? Not a lot of 12 year olds think this way. Give that kid an award. I know a lot of obscure baseball players, like a, a, a sad amount of obscure baseball players. I did not know Barbaro Garbet. I'm going to have to go see if he's got like a SABR uh, page or uh, just read him on Wikipedia or whatever. I want to say real quick, nine was probably young because now I'm remembering a uh, conversation with like my fifth grade teacher about, you um, about playing baseball. So For all you kids out there, don't kill your dreams until you're 14 years old. Okay. At least give yourself to high school when you get cut. Give yourself through puberty. I went to actually yeah. I went to a school so small that you didn't get cut. Like I was 
I was yeah, short and fat and slow and weak. And I was like the starting third baseman on my high school team as a freshman. So. <laughs> um, but then yeah, other, yeah, no, we... kid, either, either tell your kids to kill their dreams or raise them in a bean field where they have no choice, but to play. <laughs> there you go. Or just like, live. yep, that's good. But then also I love this story because now I want everybody to read. I want everybody to go read Nathan's story. And then after you're done and you consume it and you read the great story, I want you to go back and read it again and put JT Tuimolo's name in every spot he puts Dewan Jones's name because that is going to happen with him as well. Oh, the basketball dreams, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Let them die so you can but, go make millions on but their playing stories on the line are of different. Scrimmage. But their stories are different because mm-hmm. Tuimolo's was a major football prospect for years now and Dewan yeah. Jones was not. Dewan That's Jones fair. was like he didn't get a Dewan Jones didn't get a Power five offer until Halloween night of his senior year. That's true. And he's going to be a fairly high NFL draft pick someday, probably. Kill your dreams when you're young. Buckeye talk. For Stephen and Nathan, I'm Doug. Thanks for listening. And that was Buckeye talk. Buckeye talk.